Welcome back. This is Pretty Little Grown Men. We are here to talk about Season 5, Episode 6. Run, Alley, Run. Run, Alley, Run. Uh, we're your hosts. I'm David Greenwald. And I'm Dom Sinicola. Thank you for checking in with us. This is Episode uh, four. 4 of our podcast, yeah. so stoked about that. Thanks for being with us. This was a really insane episode. I think it's the best one of the season so far. Better yeah. than Better than Episode 100. Yeah, uh, I liked it a lot. Um, all around, I felt like uh, the writing was better, and like I just said before we started, I I think I like this show more when things don't make any fucking sense. Right, which definitely <laughs> seems to be the case. Well, so the big the big event that goes on in this episode, Allie is going to run away from Rosewood. Mm-hmm. And she gets attacked by A, who tries to strangle her. And we were debating before the podcast, did A actually try to kill Allie? And then when she, when A did not send the text to save face, mm-hmm. I think A was trying to kill Allie. I think yeah. you see A going for it, letting Allie go after she appears to lose consciousness. And then she's going to leave. He or she, I should say, mm-hmm. is going to leave when Emily walks in, like thinking that Allie is dead. And then Allie's like, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, you know, not, not to be all sexist or anything, but I do feel like the person who attacked Allie was a man, even though the end of the episode sets up A as a woman. Uh-huh. So, I mean... Because the A we see at the end is wearing a veil. Right. And, and it looks, has very, a very, looks very womanly, skinny. Yeah, womanly figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know... Not that it's any huge revelation to affirm the idea that there are multiple A's, mm-hmm. but that does seem, that does lend more credence to the idea that um, the head of the A's, the leader of the A's, whether that's Mona or some more powerful human being, sure, um, is sending you know, her minions or his or her minions to go do A things, and that this particular A was trying to kill Allie, fucked up, and mm-hmm. then and then yeah, and then the real A had to save face. Right. I think it was Mona. I think it's Mona in the hoodie trying to kill Allie. I think she's panicky. I think she doesn't think she can deal with Allison now that she's back for real. She was so strong though. She was. And she was she and was. she was like she was like uh toe to toe with Emily. And Emily's uh an athlete. Yeah, she's got she's she's taller and much better built than Yeah, but you know, Mona being A, you don't think she's taken some karate lessons or something <laughs> somewhere along the line. You know, she probably, her adrenaline her I, adrenaline's rushing. Well, I would assume she knows how to take care of herself if she's decided to be an insane criminal mastermind, you know. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't out of <laughs> I, I just say that because she was That's a good point. She seemed to be shorter than Allie. So I don't think it yeah. was a man because that person would be more likely to be as tall or taller mm-hmm. than Allie. Did you think at one point... So there was actually one point during that whole scuffle when I was almost sure that they were going to kill Allie off. Uh-huh. Because there's a point at which Allie seems to see who it is. Like, you know, it was sort of brought around during the the whole the whole fighting and struggling. Oh, and, okay. And, like, looks at the person who is attacking her. Ah, I didn't catch that. And that, so I was thinking, like, oh, Allie is going to finally see who it is, and then she's going to die. Right. You know? Um, 
So I was almost surprised when Ellie lives, and then, you know, still is just as clueless as ever. And then, and does not want to go to the police. Yeah, that. which, you know, at first seems totally ludicrous, because she just almost died. But yeah. then you did bring up the point that, uh, you know, with with the fire, the explosion being pinned, or being pinned on a gas leak, that right. obviously you, that there's a lot of people... Uh, involved in the Rosewood police who are... Questionable. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. I guess we'll see, but it definitely shows A, being willing to, if not try to kill Allie, you know, be willing to reach out and touch her in a very serious way. Mm -hmm. And the house blowing up in the previous episode, I mean, this is really nuclear war at this point. This is the most intense we've seen, A... Mm-hmm. You know, even putting a car through a window is a lot lot better than blowing up an entire house. Right. And, you know, there's there's another question that makes it seem like, a, like you said before, that makes it seem like A is one of the people who was in the room mm-hmm. when it was revealed that uh, Bethany was, was, Bethany Young was in uh, Allie's grave. Right. Um, because, because otherwise, why yeah. not just blow them all up? Right. Why blow up the wrong house? Yeah, exactly. Um, so did we ever... So I guess what I want to talk about is how much of this episode didn't make any sense. Yes. Um, and we could start from the beginning where uh, there's, there's, there must be a conspiracy that runs incredibly deep. Because otherwise, there is so many catastrophic... Uh, um, coincidences that happen around all around these like this group of maybe you know seven or eight people oh certainly and the only person that's snooping around ezra's apartment is this detective that we haven't seen for what did you say like 10 episodes or right something? the lieutenant right who's that was the partner of the guy who we've seen a lot more of mm-hmm. yeah and she's all of a sudden questioning looking around for uh shauna stuff and she makes the connection to ezra who got shot the night before yeah and then, of course, Sean is found dead in the theater that his family owns. Yeah, and his uh, his whole playing dumb during his impromptu interrogation is pretty ridiculous. He seems terrible at everything that is happening, and like he really has either either he is playing stupid so well that he's covering something up, or he is this stupid. Which is so strange because we really see him as this near. You know, like he's like the Watcher in the in Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. You know, he there's a couple seasons where he really sees everything. He's you know never sleeps. He's just going through surveillance footage all the time, <laughs> constantly checking up on the liars, knows their every movement. And then now, now all of a sudden, he's like, you know, there's that great scene where he and Arya are going through his paperwork, and he's like, oh, I think I've heard this name, Bethany Young, before. I I don't know where it is. And I said to the TV, you could control F for it on your computer. <laughs> Because that's where your notes should be. It's 2014. <laughs> right. But one of the things I like about the show is that it exists in this weird alternate universe where technology is almost the same, yeah. but like they don't actually have iPhones and they don't actually have MacBooks and like texting works a little bit differently maybe. Mm-hmm. And there was like a Snapchat today, you know, where <laughs> Allie gets... sophisticated Snapchat. Yeah, Allie gets this, this video sent to her mm. of her mom in the grave. Yeah, that was so fucking messed up and then it gets deleted yeah there were so many like bombshell moments in this Uh episode i completely forgot about that until just now Mm -hmm. 
But that's insane. Yeah. You know, and who who have we seen taking video recently? Mona. Mona. You know? Although, you know, the, the, the idea that you bring up video, there is something that I noticed. Uh, there's a few times when, sir, when we, uh, more than I think of most other episodes, when the camera's perspective is from a surveillance video. Sure. So there's at Radley when yes. Spencer is talking to Eddie Lamb. Then there's, <laughs> there's Fitz's like, oh, I remember that I have all my security cameras still. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you fucking creep. <laughs> right. Like, I, I definitely didn't destroy this, like, multi-thousand dollar system that I installed all over the city. Yeah, that's, I still have that run up to my laptop, of course. Let me just, let me just trot that back out again now that it's not creepy and we can use it for good. Yeah, he's, he's Ezra's super questionable to me. Yeah, he's exactly. super questionable. Because exactly, because he he is suddenly like incorrigibly incompetent. And uh even Arya seems to be the most mature in this situation. Right. And he's like, "But I just want you back. Like that felt right, didn't it? Like please tell me that that was okay that I had sex with you." Right. And it's but you know, it's the same kinds of things he was saying to her when he's trying to get her back before because they had previously broken up. And he was still spying on her, and he's like, come back to me and come hang out in my secret cabin, which is where I go to, like, watch spy footage on my three monitors. Like, <laughs> dude. I know. This is, this is, we should have titled this podcast, like, We Hate Ezra, the uh, podcast. As a side note, I did bring up last week um, how much I can't stand Scandal anymore, and I, what I forgot to mention was there is uh, another... Uh, relationship that almost ruins the show for me on Scandal, and that's between uh, Olivia, the main character, and the president, who sure. is also named Fitz. Uh huh. And I was thinking, like, that's these are two main characters on the on the show, Pretty Little Liars, that I can barely stand. And if their relationship was just totally removed from the whole equation, I think I would like the show immensely more. Yeah. Like, it's just so, it's one of those, those, it's just like whenever there is this, these interaction between these two people, I, like, otherwise, I, like, Fitz seems fine, oh, apart from Arya, and Arya seems okay, apart from Fitz, but when they're together, I just, like, I just want to punch the screen in, <laughs> just to destroy both of these characters. I actually am enjoying Ezra this season, just because... <laughs> He's trying to be helpful, and in this episode especially, we see, like, okay, you did all this research for years mm -hmm. on this stuff. Like, maybe you could actually be helpful in answering some of these questions. Yeah. You know? Uh, we should talk about the drawing. So Ezra, oh, yeah. Ezra gets this drawing in this envelope, which is the most batshit thing that's ever been on the show. Yeah. Really. This, <laughs> this drawing of Mrs. De Laurentiis out tending her, her roses, and there's, like, a monster coming out of the ground. Oh, yeah. Like, just overlooking her. Not spearing her, not murdering her, just, like, checking her out. It's, like, super orc. Yeah. Um, so, did you find any sort of um, weird way that the, the liars interpreted this this picture? Because it seems almost like there's this demon that is not... Like, it doesn't seem like the demon is personification or, like, like Mrs. De Laurentiis as her evil incarnate self, which is how they kind of... Like, oh, the person who drew this picture obviously hated Mrs. De Laurentiis. And, right. And Spencer's or, like... You could see it as... You could see it as... Like she's being attacked, almost. Yeah. There's like a, or there's like a demon in the garden. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And obviously this is a yard where multiple people have been buried and where Bethany, the purported creator of this drawing, ends up, ends up dead herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So it's almost a premonition. 
Yeah. That she's going to be there. That there's evil in the garden. That there's right. evil in this house. Yeah. Yeah. Which... Jason. Or Melissa. Or Melissa. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're still... We weirdly have not seen Melissa in this episode. So while all of this family drama is happening at the Hastings... Right. Melissa is just conveniently nowhere to be found. Yeah, there was... You know, there was a lot of... And I don't know if it's because the actors were busy or they don't have the salary, whatever, to get people on every single episode. But mm-hmm. there was a lot in this episode of someone saying, like Hannah saying, oh, Ezra told me that you were here, Caleb. And it's like, Ezra's not even in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, what on earth? Like, mm-hmm. why, do, why do we not see him? You know, there was a lot of stuff off camera, which seemed, not that the show is going to lie to us about those things, but no. it was a little bit awkward. Well, I think that in general, you know, more than anything, uh, it's just sort of like a, um, a, sort of the, just the exigencies of having a show like this where now, and like you mentioned earlier, like the, the core group of the liars has expanded yes. exponentially. So you have all of these people that know what's going on that are maintaining these lies. Right. And the cast has grown to such a huge uh, volume that it's like, well, yeah, it makes sense that Toby's going to run into this burning building and you'll just never see him for probably like three or four more episodes. Right. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me that you now have like all the boyfriends and Paige and all these people like pretty actively involved in knowing like a lot of crazy shit is happening. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow that is not enough. Somehow they're not able to stay a step ahead or to figure out what the hell is going on right. or or go to the police as a group of like eight people and be like, we're just going to tell you everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, now they can't because Arya killed somebody. So right. that's, it's, that's problematic. Um, I do want to talk about uh, Arya in a second uh, because she seems to be going through, actually all the girls are going through a transformation. Um but, uh, actually, yeah, we can talk about that. Um, so Arya, uh, pointed out earlier, uh, in previous podcasts, seems to be dressing more maturely lately. Right. Um, in this episode, she, uh, there's a one point when she's having lunch with Spencer, and Spencer is dressed in some sort of, like, corduroy frock, and has, like, uh, this uh, has this, like almost like the same black beanie that Hannah was wearing yeah. uh, before. That was a weird little touch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's almost like at first I was like, oh, it's funny that Arya and Spencer seem to be like switching style personalities. Sure. But it does seem like there's like as far as style goes, um, there's a lot of like passing of personalities. Like um, they're like unconsciously pulling things from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's like, and it's almost beautifully metaphorical how it, it registers or manifests in style and the clothes that they wear. I mean, and we were talking about, uh, Allie who is just wearing the most God awful looking fucking blazers all season. Now that yeah, she's come it's, back. It's, it's like, she's going to run for, she's like running for like weird Congress. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's these very strange yeah. outfits. But it's like, she, but she's wearing, it's, she must be wearing her mom's clothes. Yeah. Which is this weird, Well, she went touch. out and bought new clothes, though. Oh, her dad yeah. was like, yeah, go buy some new clothes. Also, we, we talked about this before the podcast, too. Her dad was 
so like intent on having her back and being there all the time yeah. and watching over her and that lasted for like three episodes mm-hmm. and now he's just like whoa i'm just not gonna be here i'm just gonna work later or whatever you be okay yeah spend the night at hannah's okay and you know i think it's one of these things where it's not convenient to the plot mm-hmm. and he's a supporting character or a recurring character and so he can only be on so many episodes but it just doesn't make sense it doesn't seem natural for him like not to be there every night. Yeah. She's only been back however many couple weeks. Yeah. You know, that, that reminds me of this weird, um, it's almost like there's, there's two part, there's two pieces of the show happening at the same time and they almost exist in parallel universes. Uh, I guess what I mean is, so when, when Spencer's mom tells Spencer that her and, uh, and Spencer's dad are getting a divorce, um, Spencer is crushed. Like, she just can't handle it. Yeah. Which is such a... It's such a, like, a, it's such a realistic moment for a teenager, even one as old as Spencer, um, to have to confront the dissolution of her parents' marriage. And you even said, like, you know, that's... Now it's only Emily's parents who are still, who are still together. Yeah, um, all the all the other liars' parents have gotten divorced. Yeah, and it's a very it's 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 the, it's the reality of being a teenager nowadays is that your parents are just going to split up. Um, but Spencer takes it in such a crushing way, especially given how much fucked up stuff has happened in her family. It's right. like her big par- surprise. And her parents are like complete pieces of shit. <laughs> yeah. Her her mom has only become like a warmer more likable character with, like, actual banter and jokes and stuff this season. Right. Like, up until now, she's been, like, a total, you know, hard-ass. Right. As has her dad. Yeah, and so you have, like, this, like, weird reality that exists where Spencer is confronting um, divorce and being a teenager who's going off to college and school and drug addiction, and yet, meanwhile, there's this whole life of these, like, crazy, noirish tragic murder mystery slasher movie stuff that's happening on the side and it's just like Spencer is most shaken by her mom getting divorced from her dad than she is by all this other shit happening. Yeah, by like the house blowing up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, it's true. And I mean, I think that's the balance that the show tries really hard to pull off, which is having these characters exist in a sort of normal, real teenage emotional space Mm -hmm. and then also having them exist in J.J. Abrams' alias. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, like, having those two completely insane worlds colliding. Yeah. Uh, so we see uh, Caleb's back, but he's leaving. He's uh, he's not going to stay around, I would imagine, much longer. Yeah, I, it's, I don't really know what's going on with Caleb. I'm frustrated that he doesn't just say, amidst all this total insanity mm-hmm. that's happening with A, he just kind of takes it in stride. He's like, well, yeah, A just blew up that house. You know, that's something that A would do. <laughs> you know, sounds about right to me. Like, is he still in shell shock from the events of Ravenswood? Does he just, like, not want to open up and just be like, yo, there was a ghost. <laughs> I died and, like, went to purgatory for a minute. Yeah. It was the most crazy thing, you know? Cause, like, Hannah that's why would... he's turning to drink. Right. Right, and Hannah, but Hannah would believe him. It's like, oh, of course. so that's kind of a weird, uh, you know, I don't really like the way they're dealing with that. I mean, it just kind of draws out the plot. I'd rather see him just open up and cry a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess this is not the character he is. No. I mean, I feel like his silence makes him suspicious. I don't know why he would suddenly be on Team A or be a questionable character, 
but he's also not being very supportive or you know being a team player on the good on the our side. Right. The yeah, side. it's almost like he's just sort of like I, I'm done. I'm done with all of this stuff. Right. Although I don't know. I mean, he was always so. I just I just don't think that the, that a show like Pretty Little Liars could let go of the true deep soul bound love of Hannah and Caleb. I agree, and I'd like to see them reconcile. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, because that's the, that's the thing is like the show can't exist without these like enduring loves, which is why. Um, do you like? Do you really think that they'll put Spencer through the the soul crushingness of having Toby be actually evil? It could happen. I mean, I think you know the show tries really hard to leave these characters in such a gray area where sometimes, like with Mister Hastings on this episode, mm-hmm. you know he basically tells Spencer and then tells Mrs. Hastings. I didn't kill Mrs. De Laurentiis, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you're just supposed to kind of... Spencer's like, oh, well, okay, I guess my dad didn't do it, you guys. <laughs> and it's just like, so much of the show asks you to take things at face value, and then it just treats that as reality for six episodes or, or a season or whatever, and then when it becomes convenient mm-hmm. for that character to not be like that, then it says, oh, no, just kidding. You right. know, CC was helping Allison this whole time, right. which, again... No, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Yeah, you know, and that's and that that was like when when Spencer starts crying because she, I guess, is filled with guilt that she ever accused her dad of murder, and Arya's like, uh, like, uh, no, like, what what's what has changed that? Yeah, your possibly... dad, your dad could be a. Yeah, and and Spencer's like, but he thought that I killed uh, Allison and might er, and and or might have killed Bethany Young. Right. And that was like, and they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, because your dad would never lie about that, you know? Right. He's concocted this whole deep conspiracy, but, but you know, he thought that maybe you killed him, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, he probably didn't kill Mrs. De Laurentiis. No. I also think the person at the end who's leaving the flowers for Bethany is probably the person who killed Bethany, mm-hmm. uh, and I would not be surprised if that's Melissa. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Melissa is. Well, then, but then, what? The, what is the secret between? The secret between Mister Hastings and Melissa then must be her pregnancy due to. So where's Jason been? Right, he is not in this episode either. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of missing pieces in this episode, and I think you know the characters. It's not unreasonable for them to not think about all these hanging threads. Because they're not watching this as a television show. They're experiencing it as this extreme emotional trauma and terror that they have to live through every day. So I understand that they don't have, like, you know, the yarn up on their wall like a detective trying to actually figure this stuff mm-hmm. out. But it, it does seem like every episode there's, like, this new thread to follow and there's this new focus. And the characters need to step back a little bit and be like, wait a minute. Where's Jason right now? Where's Melissa? And at least we get the knowledge from Paige that Melissa is in on the new Mona plan. Mm-hmm. And that gets, so that gets communicated. So we get something. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Paige finds a rat in her locker, which right. symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the informant. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking, actually, um, the, 
if I if so if I saw a picture like that that creepy drawing that was supposedly done by Bethany, um, my first thought would be so there's a monster at the haste who lives at the De Laurentiis house. Yeah, it's got to be either. Well, it's got to be one of the other members of the family. Yeah. So either Jason, Mr. De Laurentiis, or even Allison. And we know that Allison spent time in 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 Radley, right? I think. I think we know that. Or was it Mrs. De Laurentiis after she died? I think Allie was. I think Allie spent some time in there, mm. and she could have encountered Bethany Young, and not be telling the other liars. I mean. You know, there's a lot that Allie is not telling us, yeah. and a lot of weird neuro insecurity that Allie seems to have that she doesn't want to share everything with the liars and unburden herself and be like, "Here's the full picture. Here's everything I know." Like, you know, yeah. there's a lot about her time in the last couple of years that we have not seen. Right. And Noel Khan is certainly part of that. Oh yes, Noel Khan. Yeah, and he's going to help her out tonight. And this was one of the things that in the heat of the moment that, you know, maybe uh, Hannah should have mentioned, right. that No Khan dated Mona while Mona was in full-on A-mode. Yeah. And yeah. I think he I think he dated Jenna. And he dated Jenna, too. As well. Yeah. So No Khan, totally questionable dude, and Allie is not in Rosewood to see these things. So, you know, Allie is getting played by Noel and Cece. Right. No question. Yeah. Yeah, and so why... In, yeah, and then in the heat of the moment was either either Hannah wasn't thinking or I mean it's been a few seasons. I get, I ancient, guess. ancient history. Right. It's like 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 Spencer said uh, he uh, Fitz had been lying to Arya for years. Right. And she's <laughs> like, "Oh. Oh yeah. Yeah, I guess it's I guess like that happened. Maybe a year, I guess. Yeah. And over the course of these five seasons. Um, yeah, how long is it it has it's been like a gone, year. LA was gone for 2 years. For 2 years, okay. Yeah. And when the show started a year after she disappeared. Is that right? Does that mean we've only covered really a year of, of because, time? Well, no, they've had a few Halloween episodes, though. Although some of those have been flashbacks. Yeah, I guess that's I think true. we've passed through a couple years of, of yeah, time. It has been four years. Yeah. We would have to watch... At some point, we need to watch the entire show again and chart everything out and really you know, really go true detective on this thing. Mm-hmm. But maybe after this season, because I'm sure there's a lot more that they're going to reveal and that a lot more dots that can be connected. We're going to have a, a break coming up soon anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I I guess what, what, I'm, what I'm struggling with is that um, the better the liars become at essentially being detectives... Mm-hmm. The the more you expect them to make these connections uh, more intelligently, but like for like the perfect example being Hannah, not either either she was in the heat of the moment didn't really realize that Allie was gonna. But that doesn't make any sense. Like uh, you think that like oh we haven't seen Noel, especially it's fucking Noel Khan, right? To just be like, whoa, what the hell? Why are you calling Noel Khan out of everyone that could right. possibly take you to the fucking train station or wherever the hell you were going? Right. Um, and, or, or maybe it's like, maybe it's worse than that. And Hannah was just like, I want to get Ellie out of here now. Yeah. I don't I care mean, how she gets out of here. I mean, you know, the show is trying to, and this was some weird Caleb dialogue too, where he's like, 
well, you've been different since she got back, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Like, you're changing. Yeah. You know, as opposed to your friend is, is people are trying to blow up your friend, you know, or, or kill or threaten or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's the problem. And if you just get her out of town, you could probably chill out a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the things that should be the obvious motivations to get her out of town. Yeah. Not that that helped them in the first place. But that was before A knew where Allie was, you know. Right. So potentially, she, Allie leaves town. It takes the heat off the wires. Although I, you know, I don't think that's A's style. No, and also another thing that didn't make any sense was uh, how, like, like we were talking about earlier. You, Allie's like, well, I gotta leave town, and all the liars like, uh, how? You can't do that because the cops are gonna know exactly where you're going. Right. And that is like, but no, I have to. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. But I guess you have to. Yeah. It's like, 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 uh, wow, that doesn't make any sense at all. How well, how guess... can Allie just leave town, especially like under the 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 street smarts of Noel Khan? He's gonna oh. whisk her out of town. <laughs> yeah, sure. But you know, I mean, if she doesn't, she's got cash. She doesn't have her credit cards. She picks up some random ID, you know, from, yeah. from under her drawer, mm-hmm. like. She gets on a train, she goes to New York, she goes somewhere, like, she could get lost for a while. Yeah. I mean, really, the only issue is how much cash you have on hand. I mean, that's what was she was running into before, she was running out of money. Yeah. And so she's desperate to get money from Shauna or from whoever. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did, what I really did like about this episode is that all of the liars were now sort of at each other's throats. Yeah. Um, there was that... Uh, like Emily, who's kind of starting to lose it a little bit uh, after she, or before she has her like late night. I don't know what you call that, like masochistic all nighter sitting next to Allison. Oh man, so sad. Yeah, Seven, was so that intense. was that like what exactly was that? Was she like testing her resolve, or was she like staying awake so that Allison couldn't, you know, like. It's make the move. It's or? either I think she was standing guard a little bit, mm. but I think also like couldn't sleep because she was so tortured about her feelings for Allison. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you have there's the scene where uh, Emily, <laughs> like the whole scene is just so it, it it just gives this really hilarious insight into the possible dynamic of this friendship between these four girls, where Emily like comes upstairs and she's like, Hannah, what the fuck? You weren't answering the door. And Hannah's like, oh, I was like in the shower or something. And Emily's like, like, you're, you're up to no good. And then like, where's, where's Spencer? And Hannah's like, uh, at dinner with her parents. Like this whole idea that Emily's like, you must know where everyone is at every time. Right. Like, right. It's so obsessive and, but so, um, volatile. And I feel like, and, and of course I can't speak, we can't really speak of this, but, um, as I feel like there's getting, there's something happening here that, that maybe if, if I had better insight, uh, I could say like, this is what teenage girls are like, uh-huh. but to just be like the friendship of, of the friendship between the really close friendship between 17 year old girls, um, and the whole idea that like what you're saying earlier, that these just teenagers in general, the idea that you like have these really intense emotions and you're willing to take things at face value because if you dig any deeper, 
you're going to be really afraid of probably the, the truths of what you find, which you can't deal with emotionally as a 17-year-old either. So it's like you have these like really grand emotions, but you don't understand them. Oh my god, these dogs are fighting. That's, that's Allison's new dog. Digging Pe- in Pepe, our, that's Pepe. Pepe, yeah, digging in our front, our front lawn for, uh, for, for the next body on Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> well, I think I, I really like the exchange between Hannah uh, and Emily tonight because it shows, you know, Allison's return has this profound emotional effect on them and on how they see themselves and what they want and how they would, how they relate to her, you know, in this a post a world mm-hmm. you know and how they're going to try to move forward as just like actual people for the yeah. first time in a long time mm-hmm. and so i really enjoyed that they're both kind of at each other's throats with that and saying well you're you you held your hand you know <laughs> how dare you <laughs> yeah. you know or or whatever that that they're they recognize that they're that they all have different emotions about allison being back they're not on the same page mm-hmm. and they are not necessarily united in the way that they were when it was the four of them against A. And they were all clearly being targeted. Yeah, and there's still... And all the lies that continue are almost a matter of fact. When Spencer finds out uh, that Arya, who uh, is the worst... uh, The way that Arya... When Spencer's like, "Um, you you slipped up. Or like, is there something happening between you and Fitz? And she's like... Um, no, 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 none at all. <laughs> so why were you with him last night? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's because we had sex twice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we found out that uh, Ezra orgasmed twice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So there's the scene that we saw, and presumably, you know, more. More. Yeah. More, more bareback riding. Right. Um, the one last thing that I did want to say is... Uh, um, that I I really like how, despite everything, despite the fact that, you know, and there was, like, two, what was it, two episodes ago, we were, we were like, or you were saying, like, oh, uh, Allison's on the level, like, she's, she's cool. I don't know, she's, she, maybe she's still on the level and she's not involved in, in any of the stuff that's going on, but she's still an asshole. Like, right. Like, she's still, the things that she says, um, she said something especially, uh, I don't remember what it was. It said, 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 said something really, like, really dug at somebody in this episode. One of the, one of the liars. Um, and didn't apologize for it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, like, a really super asshole thing to say. A very typical, like, pre-disappearance Allison thing to say. Right. Um, and she's still... Like, you still think that she's maybe being kind of manipulative with, with, uh, with Emily, uh... Knowing that Emily is really like beat up inside about her feelings and oh, still sure. like, please let me stay over. Like, what kind of friend would do that if you're kind of, if you like that's just so manipulative and right. still like really, I don't know. Allison is still. Yeah, I I think you know I think we're seeing her fall back into old habits and she came back and she tried to change and then she's faced with you know people who are still out to get her and so yeah. she goes back to the only way she knows how to be. Mm-hmm. You know, which is pitting people against each other and keeping her secrets to herself. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't, things that were brought up that maybe were just meant to be symbolic at the time. Like, what about all the alley masks? You know, mm-hmm. all the, all that stuff. And there's a lot of things that uh, 
have not really been explained properly that Allie could maybe explain. And we haven't really... She told the story of the night she disappeared, but we haven't really heard about where she's what she was doing 95% of the time. Right. You know, we didn't see her rescuing liars or whatever it is, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I mean, she spent all this time looking for A. Where has she been? Who else was helping her? Like, why didn't she just run off to, like, Arizona or something and chill out for a while, right. you know? Yeah. Like... There's just a lot, a lot of alleys lost, period, and that's that makes me question certainly. You know what her motives are now, what she really wants, if she really thought, you know, even her really thinking that Shauna was a, that still doesn't make sense to me. I still think there was a point where Shauna disappears and it clearly comes back as a changed character. Mm-hmm. You know, she gets abducted. Yeah. If she was a, no one abducts her. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. You know, so I think she really, I think she was being yeah. helpful until there was a pivot, you know, and some, that should have been relatively clear to Allie, who maybe is not as, as mastermindy as she appears to be, despite the fact that she was successfully blackmailing all these adults at age 15. Right. You know, it's yeah. like the characters go back and forth between being like very savvy, very competent, and suddenly being like emotional and incoherent and unable to deal with what's in front of them. Which is why I think that it, it points, to, why it's hard to accept that a character who suddenly, like Fitz, who suddenly acts stupid, is so, um, like, that's so believable. Because it's just like, mm, I, I feel like you're too smart to be this dumb all of a sudden. Right. And I think some of that, I think, is trying not to scare off Arya. I think he's trying to say, oh... I have these security cameras. I forgot. <laughs> As opposed to being like, I obviously didn't throw out any of my stuff. Yeah. Dummy. Yeah. Like, I spent a lot of money on this. <laughs> like, trying to get my book deal oh, situated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think he's definitely, like, pandering to her in a pretty big way, the same way he did last season. Yeah. Like, uh, and Arya's like, that was, things are not the same. That was a mistake, but I'm going to still hang out at your apartment all the time. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, just because. Uh, yeah. Oh, well. Um, but, yeah, overall, I, 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 had, I had fun this episode. Yeah. I, uh, and the best, I guess the best quote I, I would say would be, um, well, there, I mean, there's sort of the, the very iconic, uh, did you miss me, bitches, which um, was the text that they got. Yeah. I uh, think Allison turning to Emily and saying, I don't want to be alone tonight. <laughs> That's pretty great. That's pretty classic. There were fewer one-liners in this episode, I think just because so much completely batshit things happened. Mm-hmm. So okay. there was not a lot of room for quippy banter. But maybe in episode seven, Stay Alley Stay, we will, we will return <laughs> to the, the jovial, wisecracking, pretty little liars that occasionally we love so much. Yeah, I miss, I miss Caleb being funny. So he's yeah. so broody and drinky. He used to be funny. Now he's just like, well, I'll take another hit from my flask, I guess, to numb the pain of my canceled ghost show. <laughs> I guess I would be drinking too if I was on a show like that. <laughs> yeah, if if I if I face down death, and then he ha- and then he hands the flask to Hannah. And he's like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna drink alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh, and we miss we didn't the one thing we did not discuss. Uh, is Hannah and um, 
Travis. And Travis. Yeah. Travis, actually, the one guy in the show who stands up for himself, and he's like, hey, I can't deal with this anymore. Like, let me know if you, like, want to be serious about this or not. Yeah. And Hannah's like, well, I don't really know. So I'm just going to leave that hanging. Yeah. So that's good. I appreciated seeing a male character, you know, just like seeing Emily with Paige stand up for herself. It's nice to see a character you know, assert him or herself and say, this is what I need from you in this relationship mm-hmm. and you're not giving it to me. So yeah. deal with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, that poor guy. He was he was just such a, a plot device and then he just got cast away. Yeah. Which is too bad. He yeah. seems like a good good boyfriend. He was totally on the level. Yeah. Not an alcoholic, not a drifter, no. not, not possibly a ghost. <laughs> so that, those are all nice qualities. He didn't have bad facial hair. Right, right. Or I feel hair. like did Caleb awkwardly shave, or he's using like a ray? He's using like the electric the electric razor with at at setting number one. Mm-hmm. So you just get like a little bit of stubble because he has less facial hair in this episode, I think, than I think he did so when he returned. Yeah, maybe it's it's sort of um, visually showing his transition back into Rosewood life. He's he's slowly it's it's shrinking back into his face. Yeah. Because his sideburns were looking real choppy today. <laughs> they were just not looking like, you know, it's like, dude, you gotta take, you gotta grow those out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You can't just, like, shave them like that. It looks really awkward. Oh, I know. But he's got, he's got a lot on his mind. It's true. It's he might, true. He might be dead. He, I don't he, even think he's sure. Yeah. Although, Travis did see him, so I guess... He's probably not a ghost. He's probably not a ghost. But I didn't watch the end of Ravenswood, so I really have no idea. Perhaps, perhaps they're all ghosts, and we're watching... Lost season seven, or season six, whatever season six, which was the bad season of Lost, the last season. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't want to get into on this podcast because that's an entire podcast <laughs> talking, talking about season six of Lost. So they're all just meeting in in limbo before they head into the light, right? Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, at least Caleb Caleb can once Caleb realizes what's happening, he can show them the way. <laughs> right, right. He will he will wake up. The sleeper will awaken, <laughs> as we saw as we saw in the nineteen eighty four Dune movie last night. Yeah, the which, Water of Life. The yeah, which no relation to Pretty Little Liars, but a pretty insane movie yeah. that I mostly recommend. Yeah, I I uh, I also recommend it. I I had just finished the book Dune and had watched the movie before, but watching it now with the book in mind. Um, I think that any person watching that in 1984, it came out in 1984. Yeah. They've been like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. What is this thing that is happening? It's a really nuts movie. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think if that movie had come out in like 1992 or, you know, even like after Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. like after the aesthetic of David Lynch was a little more in the public mind, mm-hmm. you know? Because I was watching it seeing, like, all these cool lynchy scenes. Oh, yeah. And then all these, like, sort of uh, homages to Star Wars or to 2001, you know? And it's like, oh, man, this is David Lynch doing, like, a space opera. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, it does certainly try to pack a lot in. And I thought, like, the the big gun battle at the end was sort of gratuitous and was seems like something that would not have been left in a David Lynch final cut. Right. You know. And and obviously the the movie was there was no real plans. I don't know. The the movie is ended much more def- definitively than the book is. In the book it's basically like Paul Atreides is kind of becoming an evil guy with all of his power and he's basically just like, "Well, 
time to take over the universe. Right. And and then the movie, it's just like he's... You are the Kwisatz Hitherak. Right. He's like this noble, legendary, yeah. legendary figure. And, and played by with. and played by Kyle McLaughlin, mm. who, you know, is just boyish and charming and <laughs> just exudes trustworthiness. Yeah. So you don't really get any sense of a a uh, cynical or or corrupt character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but I did I did enjoy it quite a bit. Now I, I wanna watch the the Jodorowsky documentary. Because uh-huh. I read Jodorowsky wrote like a blog post or something. I don't know where I read this, where he described what he was gonna do with Dune and it is insane. And crazier than Oh David so much crazier. Did? He's okay. he basically changed right. up the whole story and turned it into like this I mean it's Jodorowsky. But I feel like Jodorowsky could have followed the story of Dune exactly and it would have made just as much sense as any other Jodorowsky movie. Like, I I don't understand why he had to change it up so drastically. Sure. Um, and turned it into, like, this, like, weird, even more messianic, like, symbolic hero's journey, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Um, well, it's funny, because they do so many... And not to make this podcast... Five million hours long. <laughs> We're done talking about Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, if you guys, if you guys again. want to check out, but you know, if they made that movie today, it would be like The Hobbit, and they would split it into like three movies. Oh my god! And yeah. it would actually work a lot better that way because you could have like the him as a as a youth, you know, kind of coming around to his powers a little bit. The book could, is in three parts too. Yeah. Yeah. And you could have like the the whole end of the the third movie could be like the big gun battle sequence and him like leading the the Fremen. You know, like, you could have definitely done it better as, like, a series of three movies. Yeah. Or even two movies, just dividing it up a little bit. Because, you know, the problem when you have one two-hour movie and you're trying to cover months and years of time is it just becomes very jarring. Mm-hmm. You have this character going through all this growth in a matter of scenes, yeah. you know, especially when you're skipping back and forth to the villains and the other parts of the universe. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you have the character be like, huh, I guess I'm going to do this thing now. Yeah. And these are my motivations for it. And I have a new girlfriend. Yeah. And you're just like, wait a minute, man. <laughs> like, there's just a little bit of whiplash. Oh, yeah. But I, I think it was, I, I totally forgot that they have, like, all of these uh, these voiceovers to, to talk, to basically just give out plot inside of their heads because otherwise yeah i love that yeah i thought that was like a very like new agey meditative touch to have to get more of their inner thoughts and Mm -hmm. get a little bit more of that deeper connection with them which is why i thought like the whole gun battle sequence was felt alien to that because it's just like people zapping each other and they're on the back of a giant sandworm and it just goes on for like five minutes Mm -hmm. you're just like where's the inner monologue where's like the poetic like connection with the universe. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I would easily give that all up for the image of Patrick Stewart cradling a puppy as he runs into paddle. Yeah, I think Patrick Stewart. That's the other thing. People were seeing this movie before knowing Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard. Yeah. If you go back and watch this movie now, you're like Captain Picard is in this movie being a Picardy character <laughs> going into battle with a puppy. It's amazing. <laughs> like it is. It is. There's so many, like, A-plus scenes in this movie, knowing what these actors go on to do later. I mean, it's like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie um, uh, with Alec Baldwin, uh, where he's out chasing bears, this horrible 90s movie. And with Anthony Hopkins? With Anthony Hopkins. Oh, like, The Wild? wild. Um, something like that. I can't remember the name. But yeah, it's The Tundra, or the whatever it is. 
And if you watch that after watching 30 Rock, the movie becomes extremely funny because you have <laughs> Alec Baldwin like sort of being Jack Donaghy, but like trying to play it straight and yeah. just like being, <laughs> basically being a bad actor in it, you know. But you see the hint of comedy coming through. You see the hint of comedy coming through. And it's this movie where they like kill a bear. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's so absurdist post 30 Rock. And yeah. I imagine going back and watching it as like a serious drama in the 90s, mm. you would just be like, that was just sort of like not a good drama. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But watching it now, it just adds this wonderful level of surrealism to it. Jack Donaghy and uh, Hannibal Lecter in the woods. Yeah. Actually, although I guess Hannibal Lecter, he, he the Sounds of Lambs was before that one. Yeah, the only person in Dune who would go on to play characters exactly like the character he played in Dune is Brad Dorff. The, uh-huh. the wonderful character actor Brad Dorff. who played uh, Peter DeVries in, in Dune. Uh, being just Brad Dorothy all over the place. That scene where he, like, he's... <laughs> there's, like, so many, like, weird, uh, seemingly choreographed, but I, I but for no apparent reason, uh, like, hand gestures, and, and Brad Dorff is talking about, like, go find the body, like, or talking about going to find uh, Paul and Jessica, who apparently are dead out in the desert, and he's, he's like, telling some other minion to go find him, and he's, like... Go find the baddies, and he's like voguing. Like, yeah. Like, oh go yeah. Go find the baddies. Well, and the, make sure they're dead. And the sword fight or the knife fight at the end mm-hmm. with with Sting, where they're doing like these really deliberate fighting style hand motions. Yeah. You know, it's like their own kind of kung fu or something, or tai chi. <laughs> they had their own this very specific style of fighting, yeah. and I love that they had taken the time to not only have this $40, $50 million budget, but also establish very precise fighting styles. <laughs> that was a nice touch. Yeah. Oh, and Sting was magnificent in this movie. Just like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't even... The, the looks that he gives when he, like, when he emerges from, like, the, I don't know, like, the, the refresher sauna pot or whatever he's coming out of. And yeah. The, and the Baron's, like, like, sitting there, like, salivating over this beautiful man boy over Sting's extremely ripped out body yeah I mean which is totally like it's funny because there was a there's a great article I think in Men's Health or Men's Journal and it's about what these Hollywood actors go through to be like as bulky as they are now in these superhero Mm -hmm. movies and a lot of what they do is like basically getting to that super low body fat, like 5 or 6%, where you can't do it for very long because your organs will start shutting down. <laughs> but you yeah. can, like, do it for a few weeks so that you look just insane yeah. in this movie, and then you have to, like, start eating food again, right. you know? But that's how Sting looks in this movie, where he is just, you know, eating, like, only chicken for, for six weeks, you know, and uh-huh. then push-ups, and that's it, yeah. you know? And he's just, like, out of his mind, ripped and skinny, and just, and, it just and, made me, yeah, made me think of that. Glistening. Yeah. Um, that reminds me that you said that about uh, uh, the, the Men's Health or Men's Journal, where it talks about um, these what these stars do. Uh, the funny anecdote about Hugh Jackman, because I, I read something like that, where it's just like, um, this star has this quote about, about working out or looking like they do. And Hugh Jackman says, uh, I keep a protein shake next to my bed so that if I happen to wake up in the middle of the night, I'll just chug this protein <laughs> shake. <laughs> so he's constantly got, like, like supercharged nutrients right. running through his body. Just flowing through. His metabolism is probably fucking insane. Right. Well, he's not getting any younger. Okay, but, no. but he's still, yeah, I, you know, 
every time one of these movies comes out, there's like five million articles about his workout routine. And it's like, man, I mean, he must love it. (laughs) I don't know if it's good or bad for you to be doing that much work all the time and to be maintaining that kind of physique. I guess it can't be bad. I guess it must be healthy. Well, yeah. As long as he's not like taking steroids or whatever. Right. I mean, they, I mean, they, I guess they, they look insane, but they also, they look, they don't look, they're not like bulging, you know, they're, sure. they don't look like, uh, like bodybuilders who are just... No, he, he, I mean, he doesn't look like The Rock. Like, he doesn't look like he put on a hundred pounds, you know. Oh my God, The Rock. That, yeah, The that Rock guy. literally looks like he could punch through a cinder block. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a big guy. The scene, the scene in Fast and Furious 5, Fast 5, sorry, Fast 5, when him and Vindy's are fighting, and they are literally busting through, like, cinder block walls as they're fighting. Oh, man. That is believable. I didn't the see that. The sheer bulk of these men. Oh, yeah. They're enormous. Enormous men. I want to know what, I want to know what Vin Diesel's workout regimen is like. Well, on the next episode of Pretty <laughs> Little Grown Men, we will call up, we'll, we're going to get The Rock and Vin Diesel... Uh, and Ezra Fitz, who showed us his his top tummy yeah. in a previous episode, and we're going to get their workout tips. Yeah, he still finds time to work out, even though he's recuperating. Right, even after being in the hospital. Yeah. You know. Well, that's good. He's getting down to that, got all that good hospital food. He's getting down to that 5 or 6% body fat. Yeah. You know. That's what Arya sees in him now. Right. Right. It's just, he's She's just like, a, I forgot how hot you are. Yeah, she forgot about his abs. <laughs> well, thank you for following us again on, on Pretty Little Grown Men. We will get back to our shorter PLL-only uh, status next episode. <laughs> or not. Maybe we'll just meander. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just wrap up these episodes with whatever, you know, pass through whatever I, pop I'm culture. I'm talking about Dune for another hour. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens next week. But but follow us on iTunes, tell your friends, uh, and we will see you next time on Pretty Little Grown Men. I know what you're keeping. I know what you're keeping. I know what you're keeping.